Kei aku nui, kei aku rahi, rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei kia koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa ke nei. He spent five and a half years in jail for breaching his parole conditions. This is what I can't get my head around. Why have they kept him there? But is justice being served? I look at his situation and think, had he been white, this wouldn't have happened to him. Then, mandatory vaccinations for carers, but what will that mean for some of those who rely upon them? As much as I'm very pro-vaccine, when it comes down to it, if I have to choose between having vaccinated carers or having skilled, passionate carers, there's a clear winner for me. And we revisit one of our favourite characters from 2020. I probably forgot your name already, but I know all my childhood dogs' names. Tahuti mai. When Tipene Halford was released from jail for murder in 2013, he did everything in his power to turn his life around. He got a student loan, put himself through film school, and became a cameraman. But in 2016, he was recalled to prison for breaching his parole as a result of a serious charge for which he was later acquitted. Five and a half years later, he remains behind bars. And note, this story was filmed prior to the Doubter outbreak. Tipene Halford has spent nearly all of his adult life behind bars. As a dad, I've missed him. I've lost... Um all those years. He served a sentence for murder, but now he's behind bars again for breaching parole. I don't see how they can justify it, but they have kept him in for five and a half years so far, and counting. Five and a half years for having a drink. What are they doing? They're not helping him in there. Tepene grew up on Auckland's North Shore, the eldest of five adopted children. His father Stephen says it was a happy childhood, surrounded by lots of friends and cousins. What kind of child was he? Uh, he's a little brat, <laughs> but they all are. As a teenager, he started hanging out at video arcades in the central city, often sleeping rough. Yeah, he just wanted to do his thing. He wanted to be his man type thing. He grew up far too fast. Uh, yeah, so he did He did start living uh, away from home very early. Lived on the streets. He worked when he was out there. So I don't know if I'd call him a street kid, but he was working. As a teenager, Tipene Halford had numerous run-ins with the law, but they were all fairly minor. But in 2002, at 19 years of age, he and three others were convicted of murdering Nicholas Clarkson at a cash machine near Queen Street in a robbery gone wrong. A key witness was given immunity from prosecution for their testimony, and Tepany has always maintained his innocence. His father, Stephen, believes him. Because I attended the court cases and everything, and I said, well, where's your bloody evidence? You know, I couldn't understand what the evidence was. I still can't. It's very rare for somebody to be in prison who didn't commit the crime. But is that the case for your son, do you think? I think so. I think that if he was tried by himself, he would not be in there. 
but they put all four of them together and they coerced, as far as I'm concerned, I think the word is right, coerced some of them into statements. In 2013, after serving 11 years for a murder he says he didn't commit, Tipene was paroled and started to turn his life around. He put himself through South Seas Film School and became a cameraman. I became aware of him when he was doing camera work on the first feature that I wrote that got made. Television director Tanya Wheeler hired Tipene on several jobs and became close friends. What did you think of him? He was really good at his job. Uh, he loved camera work. When we had him on the film set, nothing was too much trouble, whether he needed to jump in his gaffer or grip or camera or DOP for the day, he just did whatever was needed. And he was so, so helpful, so calm, so, so friendly with everybody. That's kind of what our corrections and justice system asks of prisoners, is to rehabilitate themselves, right? Yes, he proved himself. You know, I, I watched him closely and every single thing he did, every interaction with everybody on set and his interactions offset as well, just, I really respected him. There was one troubling incident in 2015 when Tipene was recalled to prison for three weeks for disorderly behaviour and resisting arrest. But he was soon back out and working on a science show created by Tanya. And a whole lot of passion on the shoots, and it's really enjoyable to be around. But one day, Tipani suddenly disappeared. Tanya's cameraman had vanished with no explanation. He wasn't answering Facebook messages, text messages, nothing, phone calls. We couldn't reach him. And that's when I found out from another cameraman that he had been recalled to prison on a parole violation, which shocked me. I was surprised. You know, Tipene would have been out and he was, you were proud of him, he was doing some great things. What happened? Well, he, he met up with his cousin and they decided, well, they go out and have a couple of drinks together. And uh, there was a confrontation um, and that, and the guy was picking on Tipene, wanted to pick on Tipene because he was such a big boy. And he was walking away and this guy was chasing him and hassling him and then stepped in and uh, he says, hey, leave him alone. Just cut it out, stop it and everything. And the guy didn't. And then took a swing at, he took a swing at missed, of course, because was quite fast and popped him one and put him on the ground. And they picked him up and dragged him off the road. And Tipney came home and uh, he told me about it. And I, so I says, oh, well, we'll get a good night's sleep and we'll see what we do in the morning, eh? The next day, Tipani Halford voluntarily went to the police station to notify them about the incident and admitted he'd had a drink. So you didn't have to go down to the police station, but you thought it was important to just flag it, that that, that had happened? Yeah, that is correct. We, we, well, Tipani wanted to go down there and clear the air and say that he was there and saw what happened. And I sat out the back waiting. They finally came out and told me that Tipani will be recalled. Tipani was charged with wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm and he was recalled to prison. But his lawyer at the next parole hearing made it clear that he denied the charge. 13 months later, he was acquitted, but he still remains in prison today. They just kept him there. For what reason? Oh, breach of parole. For the alcohol? Oh, I, I, 
this is what I can't get my head around. Why are they kept him there? In terms of the alcohol, did either of you know that he was still unable to have alcohol? No, I thought that he wasn't allowed any alcohol or to be in any premises that served alcohol for the first six months of his parole. And after that, I thought it was okay because we used to have a couple of drinks at home. So the two of you believed that he was able to have a drink yeah. if he was being sensible and he wasn't breaking the law yep. some three and a bit years after he had left prison. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. Yep. In fact, Tipani was still subject to a five-year alcohol ban and has now served another five and a half years. His dreams of working in the film industry over. He's kept his nose clean in prison. He's never had any problems in prison. Um, not violent, not aggressive. He's done all the courses. He's done all the psych reports. He's been found very low risk. But the parole board has repeatedly turned down Tipani's bid for release, saying his rehabilitative treatment can't be successful if he won't accept his part in the murder and his subsequent recalls. They've made it pretty clear that if he admitted his guilt, then they'd let him go home. But he said he's happy to admit to things he did do. He said he's not an angel, but he's not prepared to say he killed a person when he didn't. Tiffany Halford has always maintained his innocence in the murder of Nicholas Clarkson in 2001, and there are concerns around the safety of that conviction. The Criminal Cases Review Commission, which looks at miscarriages of justice, is set to investigate his case. But in the meantime, his fate is in the hands of the Parole Board. Māori justice reform advocate Julia Faipoti. We live in a country where we don't just imprison people for life. They're meant to come back out to us. And he could be seen as a success story, to be honest, because he was released prior uh, and he was contributing positively to uh, community. He was working, he was earning money, he was supporting an industry, learning with an industry and supported to do well within that. And now they've put him back inside and they've just held him there for an extra five years. It's really a catch-22 because he continues to maintain his innocence for the crime that he served a sentence for, but the parole board keeps knocking him back. He served his time. It would be a count against him being released early, but it's not a question of him being released early. He has served time for the thing that he was uh, found guilty for. Tipani Halford will go before the parole board on Friday. An anxious wait for Fano and friends who just want him to come home. So it's been a real struggle to have my eyes open to the inequalities. It is really hard to see how much I think racism plays a part in the justice system and also poverty because I look at his situation and think, had he been white, this wouldn't have happened to him. And we'll let you know how Tiffany gets on at his parole hearing. In the meantime, we receive this statement from the New Zealand Parole Board. The role of the New Zealand Parole Board is not to determine whether a person is guilty or innocent or whether their sentence is long enough. The most important consideration is community safety. By law, the board must decide that the offender does not pose an undue risk to the safety of the community before parole can be granted. In assessing undue risk, the board must consider both the likelihood of further offending 
and the nature and seriousness of any subsequent offending. There are provisions under the Parole Act to have a decision reviewed by a New Zealand Parole Board panel convener and decisions of the board can be challenged by judicial review in the High Court. Fofano living with disabilities, the COVID-19 outbreak is a very real life-threatening situation. But a new mandate requiring all health and disability workers to be vaccinated is causing uncertainty and stress for some of those who rely upon them. Tetraplegic and mother of one, Taina Boyd supports vaccination, but says the mandate means she may lose the carers she desperately depends on. Anei te pūrongo, Arewa Harriman. Taina Boyd needs round-the-clock care, but time is running out for her carers. Yeah, I'm really scared if I'm honest. I'm so stressed because of all of this. The Tauranga-based tetraplegic is set to lose her unvaccinated caregivers. I, I struggle to understand how the government can throw a mandate on healthcare providers, which is already amazingly understaffed. As much as I'm very pro-vaccine, when it comes down to it, if I have to choose between having vaccinated carers or having skilled, passionate carers who can help me meet my basic needs to survive, there's a clear winner for me. Taina is reliant on a team of six carers to do the things most of us take for granted. If you can imagine sitting on your hands and they are stuck there with hot glue, you can't move them, and you have to instruct someone for every single thing that you need. They have to lift you into bed to change your clothes, to give you a horoi, to help you go whareipaku, all of that. That's, that's my situation. Can you just um, briefly explain what your condition is for those who don't know? Yeah, sure. So I'm a C5 Asia A tetraplegic. So I am paralysed from the armpits down. Uh, no feeling, no movement from there down. And my hands are quite severely impaired. So I can kind of flop around and imagine put, tying spatulas to your hands and that's pretty much me. So no fine motor function. Um, yeah, no ability to make or drinks and things like that um, and I can't feel temperature either so I have to be fairly careful around anything metal or kitchen you know that kind of stuff so yeah it does it makes me pretty dependent. The shortage of caregivers has been an ongoing issue for Taina since her accident in 2014. Finding good carers is extremely difficult and then there's the time set aside for training so depending on how fast someone learns uh, I think the longest we've had to train someone was three months. How will this new mandate for all health workers to be vaccinated impact you and your carers? I won't have the skill on my team necessary to give me the quality of life I, I currently have. Um, I doubt I'll even have the skill on the team to be able to keep my body going. Mm. Um, they're two passionate and very skilled carers, which are things you don't find in this industry it's losing people that have uh know me know me in and out i can be sick as a dog hardly able to talk one day and they'll know with one look what i'm asking for they'll know when i'm patting my stomach that i'm choking and they need to run and jump on me with the mandates coming out and losing carers i'm really worried that kind of thing's going to happen with no one around and do you know um 
why your carers have made the choice not to vaccinate? Yep, one is is extremely anti anti any vaccination. Um, she's a nurse and she knows what she's doing with her own body. Um, I trust that whatever decision she's making is right for her. So yeah, and then my other carer, it's just I wouldn't say it's rallying against the authority, but she refuses to be pushed into a decision that she's not comfortable with yet. And in all honesty, she might have ended up getting the vaccine eventually, but because of this push, uh, yeah, she's had her takahi and it's a no now. Mm. Tana is vaccinated and knows how deadly it could be if she caught COVID-19, but it shows just how desperate the situation is. Vaccinations would be great, there's a cherry on top. But if I lose these two amazing carers, I won't be able to replace them. There is, there's nothing out there. And with um, COVID shutting down our borders, we've had no immigrants to apply for these positions either. It really does make life hard for us. And it makes people like my carers who will be unemployed next week, absolute diamonds in the rough. What's your advice to the government regarding the mandate for healthcare workers? Co-design. So there are so many of us who can give simple answers to simple questions to get better outcomes. Um, and especially for our, our rural people, trying to find a carer when you live in Omai or Tokoroa or somewhere more rural is almost impossible. Some of, some of those guys survive on one carer. If that person gets taken off them, all of a sudden their life is confined to a bed and a stranger coming in and out of their study. Um, yeah, my advice to the government is just get some co-design, get some input first. While the aim of the mandate is to protect our most vulnerable, Tana says it's left her feeling helpless. But a little bit of empathy would go a really long way. And even, I guess, at a minimum, not saying get vaccinated this week or you don't have a job next week, looking at people's lives, looking at the holes that that's going to cause in the industry and allowing time for people to be trained to fill those positions as a long-term client of ACC. I would love to have a say in who's allowed in my whare, not be told who's allowed in my whare. Since that story was filmed, the government has announced it will extend the vaccination deadline for health and disability workers to November the 15th for the first dose and January the 1st, 2022 for the second dose. Next, we look back at one of our favourite characters from 2020. Auraki Mai Anō, the Bay of Islands Animal Rescue, is a grassroots charity saving hundreds of unloved animals each year. And for the wahine driving this kaupapa, it's a true labour of love. Last year, John Boynton travelled north to meet her, Anai Te Summer Johnson is Te Tai Tokiro's own animal whisperer. What is it about animals that you connect with so well? I think their innocence, their love, they're just so faithful, loyal, genuine. So we're just picking up hay to go and feed the community cows. Rescuing and rehoming thousands of animals. Someone rings her about a dog or something, she just stops what she's doing and she's off. Good kids. Whatever she can do to help that animal, whether it be a, a cow, a pig, a horse, a goat, whatever. Yeah. Remember, you're safe forever here. Yeah. 
Miss Minxie is safe forever now. We meet the rescue volunteer, giving animals a second chance at life. Seeing them go off into their happy ever after and following their footsteps for the rest of their life is just so humbling. Summer Johnson spends most of her day behind the wheel, driving to create change in her community. And you can be sure she'll have her gang of kuri by her side. My whole whānau are all animal orientated. We all had whānau dogs, um, neighbourhood dogs. I used to go and get the neighbours' dogs after school and bring them home for a groom and a bath and then take them back home again. Her love of animals is all a part of her charm. I probably forgot your name already, but I know all my childhood dogs' names. As the founder of the Bay of Islands Animal Rescue, she's the go-to wahine for everything to do with kararehe in Northland. You remember me, eh? Cos we treated you when you had no hair, eh? Yeah. I just um, gave him another mange treatment because um, he had no fur. People joke how when my van pulls over, I'm like the Mr Whippy for dogs. They see my van pull up and three or four dogs come from all over the, the street to see what goodies we've got in the back of our car for them. Good boy. And look, you can take this home with you. Good boy. Off you go. Her mōkai have pulled Summer through some of her darkest moments. I've suffered depression at, at a young age and got my first personal dog at 15 and the stories that that dog could tell. She was my, my sole dog and she just kept me sane. It was her and I against the world. And they're still at the centre of her world in her role as an animal rescue volunteer. Come on, darling. Good man. Her day usually starts here at the Kawakawa Vet Clinic, where today she's completing a checkup on Sunny. Sunny is from the local pound and has been rehomed by the rescue. After his checkup, Sunny is now off to a fosterer and will be put up for adoption. Hey, you're so brave. This is Auntie Sandy. This is Auntie Sandy. In the past 12 years, the rescue has rehomed more than 3,000 dogs and animals with the help of fosterers and shelters. So he's vaccinated Fleet and Worm today. Awesome. So I'll just book him in for his D6 The rescue receives no government funding and relies on donations to survive. I really enjoy working with our community. We've got such a humble, generous community genuine people. In 2018, the SPCA had almost 15,000 rescue calls, but there were just 62 prosecutions. In terms of the bigger picture of animal welfare, do you think there's enough focus on it, there's enough attention no. on it? No. The people that should be out there protecting our animals that have the power to protect them aren't, so it makes the rescue's job a whole lot harder. We need to move that red tape out because we're keeping the abusers safe and not the animals, and it needs to stop. Diana Thompson, better known as Lady Di, helps to share the massive workload with Summer. She's the bomb. She rolls, she rocks, she 
does all the work. I just help wherever I can with the animals and whatever I can do. Last year, Dai's partner died, and Summer became an important figure in her life. She even helped Dai to get a wheelchair for her dog, who has cancer. Yeah, Summer's just helped me so much in so many ways that without you, I wouldn't be here. And we're a good team, we work well together, and it's really cool, I love it. Summer isn't paid for her work, and the rescue's monthly vet bill runs into the thousands. We've got a constant desexing program going, um, whether we've got money or not. But despite the financial stress, she knows she's making a difference. Seeing the happier lives the animals lead, seeing how broken they are when they come, and they're so trusting, you know. A lot of them have gone through such horrific lives, yet they just trust that next person's going to do right by them, and I just love the innocence of them. The big dream for Summer is to be able to buy land and build a fully operational shelter for all animals. Come on! We need a base. We need our own place to set up a shelter so that I don't have to be out on the road every day. I can train Lady Di up, she can be out on the road and I can be back doing the healing and the training with the dogs because that's where my heart's at, rehabilitating them. Despite the constant battle for funds, Di is determined to continue the fight with her friend to protect animals. What has it meant to you to work by Summer's side for the last year? She showed me a lot, and I just love following in her footsteps. I really do. Yeah, she's my soul sister. She's my soul sister. I love her to pieces. The end goal for Summer is always finding new homes for animals. We try our best to fit the right dog into the right home. So here's hoping we've done it again. Minxie is the latest dog to find her forever home with her new owners from the Hokianga. Come on, Minxie. Good girl. For Summer, this is the reason she's so committed to her mahi. Because you've been able to give these dogs and animals happy ever afters, that must mean a lot to you. Yeah. As much as my heart breaks every day, it heals with every animal that goes off to their new home. They forever take a piece of me with them. Na John Boynton tera purongo kuhikina te hui e huama no horomaira. Support from New Zealand on air.